Welcome to The Edge by MGR with your host, David Gill. Hey everybody, welcome to The Edge podcast by MGR, your host, David Gill here. I hope everybody's having a fantastic week. I certainly am, as always. Today's episode is going to be a little different. We're not going to talk too much uh, current event news. I guess it's a little bit, but uh, I wanted to talk about the the fall of retail in general, or at least a lot of the older traditional retailers, and to talk about who's really at fault here. Because And, and this was actually inspired by a, a, a Twitter thread that I came across probably a couple weeks ago. And uh, I've been meaning to talk about this. Uh, by the way, Twitter has become my uh, number one social media. I know, uh, you know, these days it seems like most people's number one social media is probably Instagram. Obviously, Facebook is still there too. But for me, I really don't use any social media except for Twitter these days. But uh, I actually had to put, uh, you know, on the iPhone now they have the, the time limits for, for apps. And I had to put a time limit on Twitter 30 minutes a day because... It's the typical thing where, you know, you open it and you just get lost for 40 minutes and you realize, oh my goodness, how much time just passed by. Anyways, I'm spending way too much time on Twitter is the point. But it led me to find a Twitter thread that inspired me to, for this podcast. So maybe maybe Twitter isn't that bad after all. Uh, but it's, it's, it's really, I wanted to discuss who's at fault uh, for the death of so many retailers, there's been a lot of uh, you know news stories of thousands of retail closings this year. Obviously, this has been happening for years now, and I see you know this particular Twitter thread was blaming private equity for the fall of retail. Obviously, a lot of people blame Amazon and e-commerce in general for the fall of retail. And I wanted to discuss this. So that is the main topic. And then I also, I'm going to touch on Apple's earnings at the very end of the episode because I thought it was very interesting that uh, they had lower profits and lower revenues and yet people were excited. So I'm going to talk about that at the very end. So anyways, let's get right into it. You ain't got no money, I ain't got no time. All these faces looking funny when I'm driving by. So as I said... This was inspired by a Twitter thread I found that was discussing the fall of Payless Shoe Stores. Uh, actually, Shoe Source, I think is the name of it, even though I think Shoe Stores is better, but whatever. Shoe Source. Uh, if you don't know what Payless is, if you're not in the U.S., um, they were basically a discount shoe store chain that if you didn't want to spend more than 30 40 bucks on shoes, you just wanted a cheap pair of shoes, you go there and you can buy them. That was Payless. That was their offering. And uh, there was a, a there are multiple articles and this Twitter thread discussing why private equity groups were at fault for Payless essentially going under. Basically, Payless closed almost all of their stores. In fact, they might have closed all of them now at this point. Um, and the company just being broken apart and pretty much not existing anymore. And I think that is a bit ridiculous to say that private equity is at fault for this company failing. Uh, and I'm going to discuss why. So, and I'm just going to use this as an example, but this is really the case for Toys R Us and uh, I don't know, Brookstone and just all of these retailers, American Eagle, I think too, just tons of retailers that have been closing down and struggling. 
and discussing why they're struggling and why they f- so many have failed. And it's not because private equity came in. Basically, what happened with Payless, um, they were in deep trouble. And so a private equity group came in, tried to basically cut a bunch of costs, typical stuff that PE does. They come in, cut a bunch of costs, meaning firing a lot of people, closing a lot of uh, lesser money-making stores and trying to make a profit out of it, trying to turn it into a profitable business. But Payless had a lot of debt already on the books, and they ended up just declaring bankruptcy and kind of they tried to restructure the company. Things didn't really work out, and they basically just completely went under. And the blame got put on the private equity group. But that's ridiculous because in business really to survive in the long term, you really need two things, at least one of two things, and they kind of go hand in hand. Um, You either need a strong moat, which is barriers to entry, or you need pricing power. And again, pricing power kind of comes with either having a strong moat or the other form of pricing power often comes from having a very strong brand. Obviously, you know, Gucci can charge $1,000 for shoes, whereas, uh, you know, your typical shoe company, Payless, could not charge $1,000 for shoes. So that is where brand comes into pricing power. But you need some form of moat, some form of barriers to entry that protect you from other people. And so let's take a look at Payless and see what they had. They had no strong brand. Um, as far as shoes they sold, as far as the product they sold, they mostly sold private label or other brands. So they really didn't have much of a strong brand themselves. The barrier to entry for them before the kind of internet age was having retail spaces all over the country. Obviously, uh, that's something that is not easy to do and then having a large inventory selection they obviously had a ton of inventory because they have tons of stores and in those stores you need to fill all the shelves so they had retail space and inventory selection these are basically barriers to entry that are capital based it's money oh what do you need for retail space money what do you need to buy inventory money so really money uh capital restraints were the only things that were protecting them from newcomers Uh, But that didn't necessarily protect them from larger competitors like, say, a Walmart or whoever or Target who might also consider selling cheaper shoes. But that's a different story. Now, as e-commerce grew and the ease of creating uh, e-commerce sites, uh, basically as it became easier to create your own e-commerce store, your own e-commerce site, it became much cheaper to now have a virtual storefront to compete with Payless. And on top of that, the internet has a much wider selection of inventory than Payless could ever have because there's so many, even if it's not just one company. One, Amazon probably has more selection than Payless does. But even if you disregard Amazon and you just look at distributed across the internet across, say, hundreds or thousands of websites that sell discount shoes, their inventory selection is going to be much more uh, wide-ranging than Payless because Payless just quite simply cannot afford to have all that inventory uh, on hand. It costs, you know, inventory costs are one of the killers for so many uh, businesses, and Payless was no different. So 
Payless, basically, their two barriers to entry, once the internet came around, were completely evaporated. It was very cheap to create a virtual storefront. You don't need a retail store anymore. And it was, uh, they couldn't compete on having uh, more inventory than anyone else. So let's look at, those are their two kind of barriers to entry. Now let's look at pricing power. Payless had no pricing power because their brand is literally called Payless. Their whole you know, I talk about brand strength. They really, they had a brand, which is, hey, if I need cheap shoes, I can go to Payless. But they don't have a brand that lends itself to pricing power. Because like I said, it's called Payless. So if they were to raise their prices, then people would have no reason to go and shop with them. So the two biggest things that you need to have a long lasting company, they did not have and that is the primary reason why they failed you know and then the 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 kind of third reason here is that because the 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 third thing that you can do as a retailer when you don't have those two other things is at least create a phenomenal customer experience and that is what a lot of i i discussed in a podcast it was probably a few months ago now Kind of, it was called. I believe the death of the middle, and I wrote a blog post about it too. I'll put the links in the show notes um, to those if you want to check it out. But it, it's really about either you're providing value experientially, like say a. I think I use in the example like Starbucks. Why do people pay five dollars for a coffee or more? and uh, spend so much time in there? Why do so many people go to these coffee shops and to work or to have meetings, etc.? It's because they have the, they've built this experiential uh, store, this retail front that makes people want to go there and spend time there and willing to spend much more than what the coffee itself is worth just so they can be there. And Payless was not successful in doing this. You know, I used to actually go to Payless back in the day when I needed a cheap pair of shoes. And, you know, really, the customer service was not great. I remember this store. Not Now, this is a little anecdotal. It might have just been my one store. But I'm going to guess it's pretty similar across most Payless stores. It was kind of a dimly lit store. Just had a, you know, a bunch of aisles with cheap shoes, depending, obviously, you know, women's section, kids' section, men's section. And then, you know, sneakers, dress shoes, you know, split up like you would expect. And they normally had like two people working there, one person at the register and then one person kind of in the back uh, going back and forth, uh, stocking shelves, managing the, the inventory of the store. They really didn't have like if you go to say uh, a Foot Locker or, you know, one of those other shoe stores where they have basically salespeople who are there to provide great customer service, go find your size if you don't have it, you know, a lot of times they tell you, oh, it looks so good on you, all these types of things that basically make you want to buy the shoes, Um, but Payless didn't have that, now obviously Payless doesn't sell like these other stores, $100 plus shoes, they sell $30, $40 shoes, so I get it, they can't afford to have all these salespeople, and really, you know, when you go to Payless, you don't need a salesperson, you're just looking for a cheap pair of shoes, that's fine. 
but they didn't have that great customer experience. There's nothing experiential about going to a Payless. And so that was really the only other thing that could have kept them afloat when they don't have pricing power and they have no moat, they have no barriers to entry to compete with them in the e-commerce world. And so that is why Payless failed. Not because some private equity firm came in at the 11th hour to try to salvage what they could and restructure the company and do all these things. That's not why they failed. They failed because of their own incompetence and their lack of ability to adapt. That's the real truth. And this really goes for most retailers. You know, if you look at Toys R Us, they made a mistake in that they just delegated their e-commerce off to Amazon. They didn't think that it was going to be a big enough deal. And so they, instead of trying to build their own e-commerce infrastructure, when they had all the advantage, because Toys R Us used to be the place to go to get toys, they had all the advantage and they squandered it. They really didn't want to adapt. They didn't want to move into the future that was digital, that was online. And they just chose to uh, essentially license off their e-commerce business to Amazon. And that ultimately killed them. And this story is the same for so many companies. Because before, the barriers of entry that you had have been eliminated through e-commerce. And I realize I'm, I'm rambling a bit now. And so my rant to wrap this up is that Amazon and e-commerce advancements, I guess you could say in general, didn't kill retail, didn't kill the mom and pop store. You know, Amazon didn't kill small businesses. Both Amazon and e-commerce have created a boom for small businesses and entrepreneurs. They've removed barriers. And it was those older businesses who didn't adapt that are now failing or have failed. But there are millions of businesses that have been created on Amazon and even more on general just e-commerce on, on the internet. And e-commerce has spawned hundreds of new CPG companies worth hundreds of millions or even billions of dollars that would not have ever been would not have ever existed previously. You know, ultimately, when established businesses go under, it's, it was their lack of ability or willingness in many cases, similar to uh, Toys R Us, that led them to fail. It's easy, you know, to point fingers, especially when things get political. Uh, you know, it's very easy to play the victim. But the market doesn't care about your woe is me story. The market only cares about who has a great offering, and that's it. And a great offering can come in many ways. Great offering doesn't necessarily mean the cheapest, right? There's plenty of great brands out there that offer things at a premium price. But it, you need to have a great offering. And if you lose the advantages you have in Payless's case, their great offering was, hey, cheap shoes that are they're not some fancy brand but they're going to last you just as long so if you don't care about having you know fancy brand shoes you just need a good pair of shoes a good pair of work shoes whatever that's what we offer but they failed to adapt to the new distribution channels that was the internet they failed to adapt to ex to create an experience when you go to their store instead of just having a a dingy a try it on it's cheap shoes get what you want and leave there's so many examples of why these companies failed and why they had so many opportunities to turn the ship around, 
but they did not. And ultimately, if you cannot provide a great enticing offering, then you will fail. But the opportunity has never been greater for startups, small businesses, and entrepreneurs everywhere to create something massive from very little in upstart costs. You know, this is why Amazon and e-commerce in general should be applauded for what it's brought to the small business space, not shamed for doing really what the market and when i say the market it's what the consumer wanted the consumer wants to shop online and wants convenience and wants cheap shipping or free shipping like amazon's now offering one day shipping they're offering all of these things that are making it more convenient you don't have to go to the store you don't have to deal with uh crappy customer service you can get all these things online there's wider variety they're making a better offering and it's ultimately the consumer who decides so if you're a consumer it's ultimately you who is at fault, or not at fault, it's not your fault, but it's really your choices that have led to the fall of so many retail businesses. Because they wouldn't have failed if people kept going to them. But guess what? People stopped going to them. So that's why they went out of business. It's the market. It's the consumer. If you don't adapt to what the consumer wants, then you will always fail. It's not private equity fault. It's not Amazon's fault. It's your fault. It's a harsh reality, but that's how business is. Anyways, that's my rant that I wanted to go on a little bit just because I saw so many fingers being pointed in all different directions for why retail is failing. But ultimately, the retailers that failed and the small businesses that failed, small and large, uh, need to ultimately look in the mirror and say, I did not adapt how I should have, uh, whether you were willing and failed or not willing and then just you know, signed your your death certificate yourself if you weren't willing to adapt. And that's ultimately why so many retail stores have gone under. But we are also seeing a proliferation of a lot of new retail stores uh, that are experiential and are uh, improving in how they they really create an experience, give people a reason to go there besides just buying a product because just for distribution reasons is no longer the case because now online has made distribution a very even plane and so just being a nearby store is not really an advantage anymore. And like I said, the opportunity has never been greater for e-commerce and Amazon sellers. Which, speaking of, before we get into the Apple earnings, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about MGR and what we do. And we help small businesses, both uh, small and large Fortune 500 companies, all the way down to startups and small businesses that are just getting off the ground. We help them create powerful e-commerce sites and strategies to bring people into those sites and we also create fantastic amazon stores and listings and help you grow your sales through amazon increase conversions lower your a costs and all of these metrics that amazon sellers are obsessed with constantly maximize your roi through sponsored ads we can help you do all of those things if you are interested in the 
Amazon side, you can go to mgredge.com slash AMZ. Made a special page just for you guys. Uh, or if you're gener- interested in more e commerce in general, you can just go to mgregency.com and uh, fill out one of the forms. Or you can email me directly, david at mgregency.com, and I will uh, be glad to respond or forward your email to whoever is best. Whoever needs to see it on our team. So anyways, let's talk about Apple for just a minute. Um, Their earnings were interesting, to say the least. And I say that because their revenues were down, their profits were down, iPhone sales were down, and yet the market, or I should say the stock market, uh, investors, whoever reacted very positively you know the expectations despite them shrinking or right they actually still beat expectations which is why the stock went up and it really brings a couple of questions because it's fitting their narrative of we are less a hardware company and we are more a services company. That's what they've been saying for a couple of years now. And it's becoming more true. If you look at the percentage of revenue that is services, it is now at an all-time high. And they're getting very good at continually monetizing their current customer base, right? It's very hard to keep growing iPhone sales because obviously they're so saturated in North America and in Europe, the true largest markets, at least up to this point, for iPhone sales. And now they're trying to increase the monetization of those current customers. And so the two things that grew were wearables, which is basically the Apple Watch, and services, which is what they've been discussing so much. Their services revenue is up, which is what they really, really care about. And then Apple Watch revenue was up, which means that you know you don't buy an Apple Watch if you don't have a phone. So they're being they're more and more able to increase the amount of dollars they're able to extract per current customer but their biggest challenge right now is in acquiring new customers and as i said in north america and in europe they're pretty saturated they're not going to see too much growth uh, as far as acquiring new customers because at this point if you haven't bought an iphone you probably never will because maybe you're just an android person or you know, for whatever reasons. And so ultimately, Apple is looking to Asia to continue their growth. Obviously, China is the biggest country uh, that they're looking to continue their growth in. But the biggest challenge, and this has been discussed many times uh, by many uh, tech analysts that are based in China, and they have essentially said that the iPhone is not unique in China because everything runs through the WeChat app. And because everything runs through the WeChat app in China as far as the mobile experience goes, and both Android and iOS and every other OS has WeChat, that the Apple iOS is not necessarily a differentiator. You know, in the US, a big deal, and in in Europe, a big deal is the iMessage, right? iMessage is a big deal because it locks you in to Apple. You can only have iMessage through Apple devices. But 
they use WeChat in China. So nobody uses iMessage. So that's a, a major lock-in that they don't have. And like that is almost everything because WeChat has pay, WeChat has chat, WeChat is social media. They have everything through WeChat, which is available on all mobile devices, not just Apple, which means that Apple is really having to compete on things that they don't want to compete on, primarily price. So they saw a slight uptick in sales in China uh, this past quarter, but it was because they lowered their price by about 6%, uh, which led to an increase in sales. But obviously, that is a dangerous game to play and a game that Apple has never played. Apple has never tried to compete on price, especially, you know, they're always the opposite. They're always the premium offering versus trying to compete on price with everyone else. But in China, that does not seem to be the case. And that's why they're really struggling so much. And so while the stock market reacted very well, investors reacted very well to this previous uh, earnings call, despite overall iPhone sales being down and revenues being down, uh, I am not as optimistic because I think that their biggest problem is going to be acquiring new customers. And again, it's a good problem to have. Obviously, they're worth nearly a trillion dollars. You get it's, it's hard to continue to grow once you're that size. But for them to continue to grow, they're going to have to create new ways of differentiating themselves in the Asian markets, which currently they just are not able to do. So they may be able to increase current revenues on iPhone and, uh, you know, Apple device owners in North America and Europe. But I only but I think that's only to a point, I think you're only going to be able only going to be able to extract so much revenue from them. Uh, and so ultimately, if they want to continue acquiring new customers, new people into the Apple ecosystem, they're going to have to figure out a way to differentiate themselves in Asia, which they currently have not been able to do. So I'm kind of uh, a little disappointed more so than I think most people were in this latest um, earnings report. And I've been a very strong Apple uh, I guess you could say bull. I don't want to say bull because it's not. This show isn't about you know buying or selling stocks. It's just about uh, am I optimistic about the future of companies? And it's not like you know it's not anything like Apple's going anywhere. They're still a very strong company. It's just that I think their growth prospects are going to be somewhat limited unless they can figure out that differentiation. As I said, anyways, those are my thoughts on Apple. We'll see how they continue to try in the Asian markets where they've really struggled. But anyways, thank you guys so much for listening. That is it for today's episode. If you did enjoy, please share this episode with at least just one person you know who you think would also enjoy it. It really helps us out. And if you did enjoy the show, please leave us a rating or review or both on whichever platform you listen on. It definitely helps us grow. So anyways, thank you so much for listening. I will see you next week. <laughs>